Oh, yeah, let me take a drink. Yeah, <laughs> I'm drinking lots of coffee. I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking lots of coffee, eating lots of red pills. I'm drinking tea right now to be a little more yoded. I figured, All right, so to talk about ancient is... aliens, I should be high. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people who do talk about ancient aliens are mandatorily high. So this like is our a... first. This is our first episode of the Yoded podcast series. Uh, through the Red Nation podcast. This isn't going to be a separate show. It's just going to be a series that we're going to do uh, kind of for entertainment, but also to combat a lot of the really vile conspiracy theories that are floating uh, around in this you know, settler world called the United States, which itself is a conspiracy theory in many ways. But uh, let me talk a little bit about the, the title of the podcast because I don't want uh, listeners to be confused. I don't want it to come off as offensive. But the word yoded comes from the term peyote, which is itself a medicine, right? And like all things medicinal, colonialism tends to turn these things into drugs. And so there's a saying in indigenous communities um, that can be both positive and negative when something is yoded, meaning that somebody maybe has abused uh, or is a little bit out there, right? And has abused uh, peyote, right? A lot of, we know a lot of white folks who, who abuse peyote and come like, you know, as an indigenous person, oftentimes people will come to you with their dreams and their conspiracy theories. Uh, that is because, my favorite thing. Yeah. Cause I love to mess with them yeah. so much. So I'll tell the story about the bad yoded, right? So we had a red deal, uh, get together here in Albuquerque, uh, when we first launched the program and there was this white woman who looked kind of rugged, who was kind of like, in and out of the crowd, you know, looking specifically at me for whatever reason. And she looked like, you know, she looked, she looked kind of rough. And after every, you know, after the, the meeting ended, it was a really great meeting. Um, we had several, like we have over a hundred people, like partners who helped draft the red deal show up. And, you know, she, we were all hanging out and closing up our offices and she approached me and says, Hey, can I tell you something? And I was like, Oh no. You know, like immediately in my mind, it was like alarm bells were going off. And it's a long story. I told it on um, a, an episode uh, in the past, but the the short of it is that she confessed to me that she had been taking peyote almost every single night for the last six months. That and, is insane. Yeah. What? Yeah, and it looked like she had been. It, it looked like she had been taking peyote for the last six months. <laughs> it comes out and she's like, "I'm doing my bigfoot." Yeah. So. So she told me that she is the reincarnation of uh, no. De Chinchilla Skawi or the White Buffalo Calf Woman. <laughs> no, 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 no. Please. And so, and so then like, I was like, okay. Um, and I won't name names, but, um, you know, she, she dropped names that I was like, only somebody who knew people, you know, from where I'm from, from, you know, up north would know you know, like would be in on, um, you know, would be in because these names, most people just don't know. And so she's dropping all these names of like medicine men and people okay. that I knew uh, who go to like ceremonies up there. And, you know, it's like the next morning. Did you drop like, Robert Cross at all? Or? What? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He's too named me. So I just don't want his name associated with Yeah. It. No, I don't want to. I don't want to name names. I don't want to like, I don't want anybody associated with this yodedness. But, um, so I called some people back home. I called my brother and I was like, I described this woman to him and he, he was like, okay, so she was this rugged white woman 
you know, did she, did she look like this? Did she have this? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So one time I was cruising around with the old man, uh, his, uh, you know, a, a spiritual leader back home. And he kept complaining about this white woman, you know, calling his house all the time. And they were driving through Rosebud uh, at the gas that, and they, they stopped to get gas at the, at the mission gas station there. And there she was like standing at the gas station and she saw him and she's like, She's like, hey, uncle, uncle, I need to tell you my vision. And and the old no man was like, offering <laughs> yeah, yeah, just yeah, uh, no tobacco offering, just at a gas wow. station. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, son, get me the fuck out of here. Don't let that white woman touch me. <laughs> so that's that's the story of being bad yoded, right? And we understand that. I, we when uh, internally, like within the Red Nation and in Native communities, we tend to use that in a way to like you know when somebody gets like out there and their and their beliefs in a bad way, right? You know, because um, she's definitely not the reincarnation of the white buffalo calf woman. <laughs> yeah, I, I say I think we were saying this right before we started recording, uh, uh, like just in the psychedelic community, because like I used to be really into psychedelics when I was in high school before I was like, you know, actually observant of like you shouldn't abuse drugs stuff like that um i would uh we would call them acid brains because at like a certain point after you do so many psychedelics it just sort of seems like your brain function starts to deteriorate if you don't take a break in between them like ideally you shouldn't do acid more than once in a week if you're <laughs> all in another month you know what i mean yeah, there are people who like microdose you know yeah microdose like, is the best way out. if you're actually trying to do some sort of spiritual thing like how much spirituality is actually involved i guess it sort of depends on what you personally believe i guess but a lot of new age people who really tie in today's subject fucking clearly did some acid mm -hmm. and they have like these ideas of you know they co-opt jewish symbols like the tree of life and then like of course uh uh what is it um oh is it, uh no not all is one. All are related. What is the? Oh, Mitakuye uh, Oyase, or like we are all related. Yeah, we are all related. Is often co-opted by the New Age people and used just because Lakota is a very prevalent culture within you know settler culture. Uh, it's I, I argue it's probably one of the most prevalent, just because you know you have uh, <laughs> the f crazy horse making Custer famous, and then that sort of becomes the battle cry of why we need to contain all natives i mean then you also have geronimo and stuff like that but um the headdress is very uh like just a traditional sioux headdress is often displayed when not talking about indigenous people just in like even and even in like pocahontas they put a her dad with acoustic don't they yeah russell means yeah. character <laughs> which is obviously yeah. like russell probably requested that or something but like yeah it's, it's inaccurate <laughs> to say the least well, not a lot of people were insane enough to go i'm gonna go out to my enemy and touch him with this stick <laughs> yeah and so this series is really a response to you know the things that you're talking about like the the new age culture just really co-opting indigenous culture and worldviews uh for their own weird settler conspiracies but also you know like let's be honest like some of, you know, the QAnon phenomenon is taken hold. There are many QAnon followers 
Um, it's a conspiracy, and we'll get into this in one of the other episodes. But it's a conspiracy theory uh, that has a cult following that's you know built around President Donald Trump as somebody who's trying to expose this secret cabal of uh, pedophile rings that are run primarily by Democratic leaders, such as Hillary Clinton. And the truth of the matter is that there is some truth to the fact that there are real pedophile rings among the ruling classes, of which Donald Trump allegedly is not immune himself, right? So we want to get into all of this, and we want the good kind of Yoded, the one that expands your, your brain, puts you on another psychic level, because we can't see all the ground to the right, and the fascist right especially, uh, and talking about, you know, the actual conspiracies that the ruling class uses to, you know, crush social movements, to crush indigenous people, to, uh, you know, to really actually in this episode to really like um, distort history that indigenous people were just savages that couldn't do, you know, that couldn't build modern uh, architecture and things like that. So we're going to get the good kind of yoded on this podcast series. <laughs> we're going to raise your frequency. <clears throat> Yeah, you're going to raise your face. Cue the music. Um, so today uh, we're joined by um, Zit Kato, who is the host of the Bands of Turtle Island podcast, uh, which has been going, you have about 10 episodes now, but has been going steady. It's a really great podcast. Just did a crossover episode. Uh, hopefully you'll be joining us more in this series. Um, but I'll let you introduce yourself and maybe introduce the topic at hand today. I'm Oglala Lakota from Pine Ridge, uh, Porcupine to be exact. Uh, I don't live there anymore, so I don't really, you can't dox me. Uh, <laughs> but I go by Jakato, which is just Bluebird. Um, you know, feel free to call me that if it's easier. Uh, and also Wolf was my former alias. And then I learned that everybody uses Wolf as an alias who's native. What Bands of Turtle Island is, is like I started it to sort of tell the history of the American Indian movement. And then Jack Ben sort of bought me out wow. <laughs> for my story. And so I said, well, I guess I won't I won't finish this story on here, but I'll do preliminary episodes like the 20 points interview we uh, did together for Indigenous Peoples Day. And um, I, I just think it's important that the story of AIM gets told as like a influential militant um decolonial organization it's not necessarily uh, revolutionary but it definitely has a lot of applications to marxist strategy today especially from the indigenous point of view uh, as well as they have great foundational documents for uh, how indigenous people are viewed uh, worldwide now globally and so um i, I think uh that why i got into ancient aliens was like uh i don't know i was probably in like sixth grade or something like that and um um, my dad brought me up there because uh, they were talking about Native Americans and uh, my dad's white. So he always wanted me to be sort of exposed to my <laughs> culture in some way because that was sort of like uh, when the, they got married, the traditional Lakota way, like wrapped in the blanket and stuff. Um, he was told, like, it's your job to teach your son how to be a Lakota man because, you know, you, you don't live off of you don't live on the reservation. There's nobody else to teach him. So you have to learn this stuff. And so I learned some basic things like tobacco ties and things like that, just how to pray songs and like minor parts of the language, like how to say animal names, like Mi'ila, Tatanka and stuff like that. Uh, just like uh, easy words, you know, Emu, Cat, Shunka, uh, 
I named a lot of dogs. Shunka is yeah. the most generic. The other, the other name of, of a dog, the most common name on a Lakota family is also uh, Wohumpi, which means soup. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. <laughs> I like dog jokes. Those are funny. But I taught my roommate that. He's white and he loves making dog jokes now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should have taught you that. <laughs> but I don't know. It's a little bit fun for me just because I'm used to the like microaggression, if you could want to name it that or whatever um but uh it's just like you have to live with some racism if you're native in a settler colonial society it's kind of annoying but uh <laughs> and one thing you know one thing that you just brought up is that like we're we're not just going to like take apart these conspiracy theories from an indigenous perspective but we're also going to do it from a materialist perspective as well and from a left perspective and an anti-imperialist perspective and i think what you the notes the show notes that you provided me on this on this uh wonderful topic of ancient aliens really hits all of those uh checks all of those boxes so. it's really a weird episode so if you all aren't ready to hear some crazy <laughs> stuff i'm gonna sound insane but i have i have sources i swear <laughs> they'll be in the show notes i'm not gonna go very in-depth with my citations but you could go watch these things yourself and I'll provide my sources to counter-reference them. And really what I'm doing is providing a more plausible conspiracy theory. So it's not something you can necessarily prove. But I'm just saying if there is but a conspiracy But you can't theory, disprove it. That's the point. <laughs> so it, it, rather than saying, uh, you know, I'm right in what I'm saying, I'm saying that I'm offering you a better narrative to counter-react conspiracy theorists because they don't respond to truth. Okay? <laughs> you could just simply say there are no aliens, blah, 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 blah. But instead offering them another conspiracy theory to latch onto is a better way to start bringing them uh, leftwards if they're not too far into the QAnon realm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. uh, we will touch on QAnon in this episode just because I'm pretty sure I know who some people think Q is, at least in the ufology community. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but like, if there's anybody I'm convinced is Q, it's this guy. So we'll get into that. But uh, Ancient Aliens is just sort of like a pet thing of mine that I watched and I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> you know, because I, at that time I've studied enough like history to know that how, uh, the land bridge theory is pretty much like just uh, plaza is that the French term? I don't know. Like, it's not really something that people are like, yeah, they walked over a land bridge. No, they canoed along the coast or they sailed like the uh, Maori, you know, like yeah. there's no reason that's not plausible because it's been proven that it is possible. And plus yeah, we like know that they're probably Easter the Island. Easter e Island. Yeah. Easter Island is like, is a colony of, of Maori people who um, set up shop there. And, you know, so there's like a very, there's like a variety of like indigenous, like migration stories or origin stories, um, you know, that don't just come from, you know, the, you know, and the, the other thing too, is that like, there's this kind of ingrained like sinophobia, I guess, uh, within those things to say that like, oh, well, you are, you know, you're Asian or something like that, or you're or anti-Asian sentiment. Um, but that's a whole nother story. Um, let's let's jump right into this and talk about uh, ancient aliens, specifically the History Channel series, which I think a lot of people have seen, unfortunately, or they've seen memes of. Yeah, usually everybody knows uh, his name's Giorgio Sukalos. Nobody knows his name, but his name's Giorgio Sukalos. He's the guy with the hair that's aliens. Uh, everybody knows that meme. It's like what an old two thousand eight meme. <laughs> it's yeah. very old. 
Uh, it's from my middle school days, so that's all I remember. Ooh, I'm about to burp. Hold on. Excuse me. We'll edit that out. So, <laughs> um, so Ancient Aliens is like 15 seasons long. It's a docu series uh, that started on 420 in 2010, <laughs> which I think is uh, they knew what they were doing. There's a little Easter egg there. <laughs> yeah. That's Hitler's birthday. Oh no! You just brought that. I didn't think it was a Nazi thing. I thought it was yeah. like stoners would watch this. No. Oh no! It's totally a Nazi thing. Oh. <laughs> but it attempts to explain the great mysteries, quote unquote, of history, uh, history, uh, history via the evasive answer aliens. So basically, what I mean by that is, whenever there's a question, it's usually aliens. All right. So the series is heavily based on Eric Von Donneken, uh, Donneken's book, Chariot of the Gods, um, which Carl Sagan rips apart. If you want to go look up that review. Uh, but after he did time in an Egyptian prison for embezzlement and fraud. OK, so that's who we're dealing with is a fraud. Um, and um, when he gets out, he's like looking around, you know, for a publishing house and um Nobody wanted to do it because it's like you're an idiot. You know? <laughs> like, we we have some ideas, and they're definitely not aliens on how they did these things. So um, he finally finds this publishing house willing to do the book, but it's on two conditions: one, he only gets seven percent of the profits, and then two, a ghostwriter under the pseudonym Wilhelm Rodersdorf would write the book, who his real name was Utz Uderman. And he was a Nazi smuggled out of Germany after the war through Project Paperclip along with the scientists. Yeah, Operation Paperclip. Can you talk about that? Because a lot of people may not know what that means. So um, Operation Paperclip is uh, at the end of the war at World War Two, uh, the Soviet Union was pretty indiscriminately executing Nazis. Some of them did get to go off as to they Serbia. should have. <laughs> yeah, some of them got to go to Serbia and do science gulags to do work for the Soviet Union if they didn't have anything directly to do with the concentration camps. But for the most part, most Nazis were summarily executed, if not thrown into prison until they were worked to death. You know, and I think we could all agree that's fairly reasonable. You know, so um, not to make light of what happened in the gulags, it was off, arguably pretty bad as far as for the Nazi conditions, but not all gulags were the worst gulags. You you actually have to look into these systems to actually know what's going on. Like the science gulags, the Nazi scientists really had it made as far as prisoners are concerned, uh, especially when you consider it compared to the U.S. prison system. But also this the space program the NASA space program was only Oh, successful. it was ran by Werner von Braun. Yeah. Yeah. He an right. S he was an S member. An SS right. member. He definitely knew what the concentration camps were. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody in the SS knew. Um, but funny enough, I actually was watching uh, Cosmos, expecting to like hate it completely, the newest season. And uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about the scientists who like basically made up a bunch of shit to trick the Nazis. And, I want to look into it more. I wish I knew about this beforehand, but I think he might have something to do with why they believe this stuff, <laughs> um, which is scares me. But uh, he did it because he was Jewish and he was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. I'm going to waste their time. 
<laughs> but uh, so paperclip, uh, we smuggled out a bunch of different people, and then West Germany ends up being ran by Nazis immediately after World War II. Uh, so the Nazis never lost power in Germany. They really didn't, which is mm-hmm. terrifying to me. And as well as uh, the CIA brought over Nazi propagandists all the time. They just uh, became fact, social democrats. <laughs> they just became social democrats. <laughs> exactly. It's really upholding German tradition. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's clear that this theory likes to dip its toe to anti-Semitic tropes. Um, and it often participates in uh, almost deification of Nazi scientists as this key holders to alien civilization, uh, such as like this project that's called uh, Die Glocke, which was supposedly a UFO captured by Nazi scientists and research, and Werner von Braun was the head of that operation. Wow. I'd like to think that Werner von Braun lied to the CIA and why he should be smuggled out of Germany. Wow. That's what I think happened. But uh, yeah, so it's it's really interesting how much uh, this ancient aliens community is tied into a lot of Nazism. It is crazy. And so um, all in all, the show has produced some of the most enlightening, using the word loosely. <laughs> in, in large scare quotes, enlightening. Enlightening pieces of <laughs> evidence, all while having the most incredible set of interview guests. Not only has this series done wonders for the ufologist community, wonders again in scare quotes, wonders. <laughs> but for the conspiracy genre in general. As more and more independent reporters join the field, <laughs> I remember all so clearly becoming acquainted with this show with my father, who is an Alex Jones type. That's why he really liked it. Okay, Oof. yeah, it's really annoying, <laughs> and so I had to sit there and um, <clears throat> debunk everything in order to be like that. You're just you're insane. <laughs> you're going insane. Please don't talk to me about this. You're freaking me out. Um, and so the first episode I watched was season seven, episode seven, Aliens and Insects. And this episode centered on the idea of ancient ant men, beetles buried with mummies, and swarms of locusts. <laughs> We're not talking about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, Actually, maybe in we parts. Could. We could. <laughs> but I, I try to leave those ones out. But in ancient insect worships, connections to aliens. That's the overall thing, is that uh, it's this often a trope in anthropology that's rooted in pure Orientalism, that anytime you see iconography repeatedly throughout a culture, they're automatically worshipping it. Hmm. And that's not necessarily true, though in some cases it is, and when it's like supported, like with, in regards to the scarab in Egyptian culture, they did worship it. But not all the time is like a thing that they see every day something they worship you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's just like it's an everyday thing and they're trying to explain it through oral history and white people are like oh no they that's a god to them that's that there's a tree god behind that that they're actually describing it's like no they're talking about the pine trees and just using nation as a uh, poetic device almost you know what i mean like especially Mm -hmm. with like when we talk about making a treaty with the buffalo nation we Mm -hmm. didn't write a fucking treaty with the fucking buffalo yeah you know, we're explaining how the natural process of, uh, na- well, the natural process of nature, uh, of the world, you know, is based on, uh, at least on the Great Plains, indigenous people culling the numbers of buffalo. 
Right. It's the only way you don't have overpopulation is that there's a predator that takes them out. And wolf packs aren't really going into herds of buffalo and taking out large numbers, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like, I guess the, the symbolism of the buffalo in, like, Lakota culture for specifically is tied to the idea of, of creating Life. a covenant and a compact, right? Which is tied to, you know, going back to De Sanwi, the, the white buffalo calf woman. She oh, was yeah. the one who, like, uh, she, I don't, she, I don't think she brought the pipe, but she definitely like created like the ceremonies or helped solidify the ceremonies and the kind of the vows and the covenant that one would take on a pipe when making an, an agreement. And specifically <laughs> amongst indigenous uh, human beings or human beings in general, we weren't called indigenous back then, but uh, amongst human nations as well as non-human nations, such as the Buffalo Nation. And so uh, this episode begins, speaking of Egypt, it begins speak, uh, talking about the scarabs and uh, real scientific biology that was um, discovered um, in 2013. Uh, and this article uh, suggests that they follow the stars when determining where to roll their uh, dung balls hmm. uh, filled with eggs. Uh, and a lot of people probably don't even realize the methods being deployed here. And even if you can identify them, discerning whether or not it is malicious becomes an even, even greater challenge. Like this idea that these people are uh, worshiping this rather than it just being um, them explaining science. Mm -hmm. You know, because Egypt was very focused on science and uh, used religion as a way to try to explain how they thought the world was working. Religion and science was almost uh, synonymous. You know, it wasn't necessarily the same idea we get with a Christian dominate, domination of society, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of uh, uh, the immediate uh, next lines of the. Oh, okay, so the immediate next lines of the show is dismissing the possibility of any advanced biological observations in Egypt. To me, the fact the show would so immediately hand wave the advanced science of their society is a clear example of Orientalism, mm -hmm. uh, which if you. Nobody has read the book by Edward Said. You only have to read the 35-page introduction. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Listen, listen to East as a podcast. He's done... Even seen better. A, yeah. Seen as the editor, he's actually listening right now. Hello there. He's, he's, our, he's our god. He's our sky genie. <laughs> our sky. Our yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, either subconscious or overly ludicrous white supremacy of the show. This claim that the Egyptians didn't know the scarabs followed the star stars seems to be immediately contradicted as the show points out that the Egyptians worshipped them for, as the show puts it, inexplicably no reason. You, hmm. If you see an animal that seems to have the same knowledge as the stars as you do, you might draw a connection between you and it, right? That might be where you even got the idea of, oh, maybe we should use the stars to sort of guide us. You know, there's a lot of ways this idea could have come up in Egyptian culture. And I'm just spitballing here because these are way more plausible than uh, oh, they just for no reason started worshiping a scarab because ancient mm -hmm. aliens doesn't think there's actually no reason. And to be clear, like a lot of cultures had vast, complicated, you know, star knowledge, like in depth, like Lakota star knowledge. Like I think probably the most advanced navigational star knowledge came from like the Pacific cultures who you know, navigated vast bodies of the ocean and understood if they were in different parts of the world, the stars would look differently and like reoriented their maps accordingly. So this isn't, you know, something that's like unique. It's, 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 you know, how do you think they, they traverse this vast body 
of water without just dying at sea. And so I think the Egyptians revered the scarab because, as you can see in their pyramids, they saw um, stars as a symbol of progression and is why they uh, designed the pyramids to go so along with Orion's belt, three prominent stars going uh, not so bright to brightest to Betelgeuse. And so you can, it's almost like a conceptual monument to progress of the civilization. And so uh, the reason why I think this is because Kepri is linked, uh, Kepri, the scarab god of Egypt, is linked to development, creation, and is seen as one of, um, one of, I think, three parts. Don't call me on that. I don't know a lot about Egyptian. My brother. Okay, so my brother knows all of this stuff. So, but uh, Kepri is seen as part of the sun god Ra, along with several other of their gods, and of course. Of course, ancient aliens talks about them, but we'll have to talk about those in another episode. But Kepri is directly related to development and creation. So to have the same concepts displayed by the dung beetle, also displayed by the Great Pyramids, arguably one of the greatest achievements of the Egyptian civilization, just because it lasts through all time, you know, whatever. It makes sure you know they existed and gives you a little reason to look into them, right? Um that symbolizes progress through their their vast knowledge of the stars. And like we were saying, uh, this is common in many cultures is that they revere astro- uh, astronomy, not astrology. <laughs> they revere yeah. astronomy and um, <laughs> they often depict Astrology is a science astronomy. too, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love astrology. Um, <laughs> whether my theory is correct or not, I don't know. I'm not an Egyptologist. But this was an alternative theory I was able to form with minor anthropology training just because I used to live with a guy who had a master's in anthropology. And like he taught me how to do some stuff and research some things. And that's how I got into this academic thing. Um, But the show continues on explaining that Egyptians thought the sun was moved by Kepri. Uh, Instead, I would say their aura of teaching utilized the scarab metaphor to convey the idea of solar orbit. Okay. A ball going around following a star um like a dung beetle does uh and then as one as if on cue the show dives right down into the deep end without warning claiming that the egyptians saw kepri as a pilot to an ancient spaceship (laughs) and then using the pilot angle to draw you into the spaceship idea uh, no matter how far they have to stretch the producers at prometheus entertainment do their best and misrepresenting half-truths, because there is some truth to what they're doing, you know, and based on the idea that pantheons of gods were just hodgepodge crews of various alien species from the ancient federation of planets (laughs) and the exploration (laughs) project called Ancient Starfleet. To me, it's clear that the show uh, took influence from Star Trek in all of the wrong ways. And as the show barely continues explaining the scarab's importance in burial, the narrative quickly changes to the idea that it is in, that it isn't a real biological scarab, but rather it is an interdimensional, interdimensional, interplanetary reincarnation device. I don't really know what to call it, but that was yeah. in, it was inspired directly by Kepri, the insect pilot of the SS Ancient Enterprise. This device would transfer your soul, body. To body via mummification, or as David Childress, one of their guests, says, a cocoon like the aliens use. 
first. <laughs> the episode then turns towards an observation of metaphor metamorphosis and then moves into the uh, in, onto a Cambridge study of the uh, insect isis, a mechanical-like mechanism that allows it to move and sing. My assumption is they don't realize that most human inventions are inspired by what we observed in nature. So just to kind of interject really quickly, like as you were as you were talking about these things, um, I was thinking about uh, the band Journey. And if you, just, <laughs> <laughs> if you Google what a connection. Well, no, like look at their album covers. They all have the scarab flying through space. Like you're it, right. So like it, it was like, dude, they're totally red pilled. <laughs> like <laughs> they're totally ancient alien conspiracy yeah. theories. <laughs> <laughs> but next to the episode comes the ant people narrative. Mm. Um, and first, like normal, the show begins. Oh, actually, it's its own episode, kind of. But they have two episodes. The show kind of covers it, but there's a bigger episode to it. Uh, and first, like normal, the show begins with a biological extravaganza of ants and their incredible ability to act as a unit. You know, the, they definitely exhibit a hive mind uh, feature using uh, pheromones in order to sort of direct uh, mass movement without actually having to communicate with sounds. They're so Leninists. it's a very, <laughs> it's a very advanced way of communicating it biologically. And uh, of course, humans would recognize this. And this is a likened to the Greek um, Myrmidon, Myrmidon soldiers. I don't really know how to describe, uh, like, pronounce it, but it's uh, described in the Iliad, and uh, they were the soldiers led by Achilles. Um, and already the story lends itself to supernatural ex- explanation uh, with Achilles being involved. And um, as uh, and so the story Ancient Aliens presents is that uh, of a of a king who pleads with Zeus to repopulate his plague swept kingdom. Uh, and so, uh, after his, this, he dreams of ants falling from a tree and turning to men. And obviously, the conclusion is that Zeus is a genetic scientist. Duh. <laughs> he revisits several times throughout the series uh, that spliced humans and ants together, and thus the similarities between species can be explained simply with alien gene splicing. And this is the the soldiers acted as a unit and were armored like ants. <laughs> So almost like they're like, just describing how ants work. So you're just like you okay, you just described the plot to aliens. Like that's actually like the entire alien series is about splicing human genes with like Oh yeah, Prometheus and stuff. Yeah. I watched that once. Uh, yeah. So this is like this is the series of, of of the alien of the alien series that uh um what's his name? Uh Ridley Scott directed. So <laughs> Um, but so this serves as a great transition into the Native American legends portion of the episode, which is what primarily brought my interest to its peak as a young, impressionable Glala boy. You know, the show talks about Hopi legends of ant people or the Anasazi. Uh, <laughs> we know who they were uh, yeah. emerging from subterranean living quarters where they had survived uh, through the Ice Age. This couples with Lakota myths of uh, different ant people, not at all the same myth. <laughs> nowhere close to the same explanation who would build burial mounds okay that we can still see today um and so these ant people however did not pioneer their way of living but instead were taught by real life ant like aliens so they just immediately deep dive every single time that's how it starts it starts off with real things and then deep dives into the alien stuff but they live underground in inner earth 
And so my favorite piece in this episode, however, is when David Wilcock, the literal incarnation of Ra, uh, I'll get you guys the audio for that. <laughs> Where he says it, he says it himself in voice, says that ants are the original depiction of greys. The ant people are the greys. Okay. All in all, the tendency of ancient aliens is to explain away indigenous people using aliens as the motor of mental genocide, which uh, I, I sort of uh, took from the vein of Deloria Jr.'s genocide of the mind to describe the idea that all the real Indians had died. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so in the mind of the masses, indigenous people are considered uneducated savages who sometimes still exist, but are too helpless to do things themselves and live off the government and stuff like that. And in the same vein, ancient aliens seeks to not understand indigenous people, but to present them as if they couldn't possibly achieve these feats without the help of ancient astronauts. The ant people story was really first told in season two, episode four, Underground Aliens, which is heavily laden with indigenous American legends. Excuse me, I have the hiccups. As well as interesting representation of Sumerian legends. Uh, there they inter- uh, in the episode they interview two Navajo men, uh, one of whom discusses the validity of the Bering Land Bridge migration theory. And this land bridge theory was designed to explain the similarities in skull structure of indigenous Americans and different Asian people. Nothing it's like phrenology. throwing in a little uh, chronology and phrenology in there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I, I can touch every racist topic with this episode. It's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've even heard people say that the reason Lakota is a phonetic language, uh, like Japanese is a phonetic language, is because of the land bearing. <laughs> and I do not have any reason to dispute that language could have been influenced from ancestors who migrated via canoe yeah. to the coast or across vast spots of ocean. Uh, however, I do take issue with that. I do not think that Lakota people are some long lost Japanese nomadic people like the straw man I made would think. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not saying anybody directly thinks this exact theory of all of them conglomerated, but these people definitely think along these lines. And all together, if you're to piece together their many ideas of how exist this is what you come to and a lot of it is super racist it gets into mormonism and shit like that so it's just a whole mess all right so once again ancient aliens grounds their narrative in half truths discussing the fact that many cultures have stories where they refer to an ant people and similar to the falsehood that cortez was thought to be quetzalcoatl uh, returned it is due to the blurred lines of stories come in contact with i think deliberately you know mm-hmm. um and this again this is the plot line for uh apocalypto right yeah that, almost yeah yeah so like every every single thing that you've pointed out has be- has become some kind of popular us like movie pop line or uh, uh plot line yeah and so this is part of why i think uh ancient aliens is really a cia psyop because when they bring in these uh <laughs> nazi propagandists not even a decade later you get roswell yeah. Right. You know, and it, it only makes sense, like not to sound insane, that if ancient aliens is some sort of conspiracy theory, it is instead the conspiracy theory that the CIA is using Nazi propagandists and the, C, uh, the UFO phenomenon in order to trick the American public into accepting more white supremacist ideas. Right. Uh, I, I think that's a like a, a plausible um 
cultural phenomenon, like uh, just because, you know, the most people get their quote unquote edutainment, right? From edutainment, edutainment. That's a <laughs> word. Edge of wonder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like they get it from like uh, watching Apocalypto or watching Pocahontas or watching yeah. aliens. And these, you know, these films uh, and, you know, this entertainment isn't, promoting itself as educational well maybe i don't know maybe apocalypto is but it's nonetheless being accepted as a truth right and the idea that like you know the the i'll just talk about apocalypto apocalypto's you know follows the story of jaguar paw who is an enslaved you know person from a, a minor tribe uh, next to the nahuatl uh, aztec right who are dominating the region and using these people as like human sacrifices and so the trope is that like look they were constantly at war they couldn't even, you know, they were, the Aztec empire was in decline and it had to like rely on like this really brutal form of exploitation of slave labor from these other tribes. And of course, and I'm going to ruin it because you shouldn't watch the movie anyways, um, but you should watch it. But just, just, I mean, it's okay. It's like entertaining. I guess, yeah. But. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not full, real. <laughs> yes, it's, but it's not real. That's the point. And you know, he at the end, um, you know, like they escape and his his partner has a, a a child on the run in this really wild scene. Um, but they see at the end of the movie, they see uh, the Spanish ships coming to which, what, I, what I believe is like the Yucatan uh, Peninsula, which is actually funny because the Yucatan actually means um, it does. It's like just a word that says, like, um, what are you saying or something like that in the indigenous what language? Are you saying? <laughs> yeah, what are you saying? Um, or like, what do you want or something like that? And so the the end is like they're saved, basically. The salvation, the prophecy it's is from the Spanish. I don't yeah, remember the, it that way. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so the Spanish come at the end and you just see them off in the distance. You don't really, they don't really come to shore, but it's, you know, it's like signaling that, you know, uh, on one hand, the colonizers, um, or like the 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 imperialist Aztecs, uh, which they were an empire for for very, you know for all intents and purposes, but not like a, a capitalist empire, right? But or not even kind of, like European empires. Honestly, even their yeah. form of warfare is much more nuanced than people would believe. It's similar to how Lakota had the coup stick, is that they their goal wasn't to murder as many people as possible; it was to beat each other in combat. Which yeah, and they murder one another to do. And there was like a Whitman who, um, from our tribe, uh, the Kluichasha, his name was plays with them. And his name came from the fact that he never killed an enemy because he would just go out and like play with them. He would just like, you know, he would like knock them off their horse or trip them and embarrass them. And that was much, that was much more of a defeat than, you know, and he was considered the top warrior and he never killed anybody. So I, like, I will suggest the book fifth son. I can't remember who the author is, but, um, it's a really good book that dispels a lot of these like misconceptions of how the Aztec so-called Aztec empire operated. And like, even like with the religious sacrifices, it was more of a position of honor within the society that you were already a pre-designated sacrifice option in mm -hmm. case of times of war. And the two sides would agree on how many sacrifices each would get. And the reason why everybody started to hate the Aztecs was that they used their power to start saying, well, you need to give us more sacrifices so we don't need to go to war as often. You know, so that's where it yeah. starts to come from is that you do start to see exploitation come up, but it's in a much more uh, nuanced way than uh, they're just obtaining slaves from uh, nations that they're just uh, making into, I guess, wards. Yeah. Uh, we and it, doesn't, it also doesn't like 
romanticize it either. It's not to say yeah, like exactly. what they were doing was right, but it's not it's not just a, a complete just copy nuance. of like exactly. Yeah, it's the only time the word nuance is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. It's like well, you need to understand why these people were sacrificing people to gods. Yeah. Okay. Like there's you need to understand that. You can't just go, oh, it's savage. Like, of course, it's not something we look on favorably today. <laughs> yes, we but they weren't also they weren't also leading crusades, right? Against like, you know, <clears throat> like what was happening in Europe at the time. And in fact, many of these places, and this gets it back to the episode itself, is many of these places were actually larger than most European cities and had yeah, much even, more uh, the, canal systems, um, taxation systems. You they know, had aqueducts systems. that the Spanish would destroy. Uh, yeah, so that's why you like, can't see them today. They had like, <laughs> there was like, there was like an emerging kind of class-based society as well. You had like professional priests, you had like lawyers, you had, you know, scientists, you had people who were considered, you know, like a, a, an emerging kind of like middle class, you know, but also you had like leaders who many of whom were, um, it was, uh, what do you call it? Like um, hereditary, right? And so yeah. there was, there was like hierarchy and it's not to, it's not to like valorize them and say that there, there wasn't any hierarchy or there wasn't any social conflict. You know, if you're a Marxist, like the entire history is, all of history is, 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 uh, you know, move forward by class conflict. And we never had the opportunity to work out that class conflict because we were invaded, you know? Well, I see. And I think that's kind of interesting because like uh, they did study the Iroquois Federation and Haudenosaunee. Okay. So uh, they actually did study them. And uh, one of, I think it was either the second or third release of the manifesto. Engels put in an edit uh, specifying written history as a yeah. nod to uh, certain oral societies having a lack of class conflict. No count, not that they didn't have class of conflict, but that they had mostly figured out a way to work within the class. Mm-hmm. I get not really class collaborationism, but more like uh, it wasn't exploitative necessarily. Yeah. And that's a, that's an entirely different episode. <laughs> Literally. Like we, we've set on the table so many episodes now. This is a series. Yeah. So, but the Lakota, <laughs> yeah, right. So the Lakota, similarly to the Navajo, talk about people coming from underground, but about ourselves with Wind Cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lakota, similarly to the Navajo, talk about coming from a cave. And we, we're talking specifically about Wind Cave, where I think it's Window Cave for the Navajo. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, um, I'm not really sure. What I would say, it, well, there's like, there's Window Rock, but that's not Window like, Rock. That's, what, that's not really it's, it's not like it's not the same. I, some people, yeah. There's, I as an in law, I won't I won't comment more other than to say it's debated. <laughs> it's debated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not totally sure because like we only like ever lived on the Navajo Nation. We never mm-hmm. really. Uh, the story is very much. Uh, I think with Wind Cave. You could actually like look at it as, as since there's always wind coming through there, it makes sense that it was an oxygenated cave that you could live through through an ice age with uh, primitive underground growing techniques, but it wouldn't be very efficient. So I'm not really sure how that story actually translates to real history. Well, but I could believe that part of the ice age was lived in the cave. Well, I would say that like um, if you know anything about like when cave there are these rock formations that appear only in, in wind cave itself. Like like they're these like box, they're called like bauxite um, formations. Um, 
but also there's a lot of there's a huge underground reservoir underneath wind cave that has some of the most primitive forms of or primitive life forms um that oh. they believe that single cell organisms uh, evolve from they're like prior to oh. organism yeah so when and they how say, do we get that knowledge? Yeah, DNA right. data banks from aliens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, so in some ways, like they, you know, like like feel like even like in a, a really kind of broad interpretation, metaphorically, you can think of Wind Cave as being the origin of life in the sense that it has like the necessities. It has, you know, air, water, heat, the heat source, a light source, all of those kinds of things. But then also this underground, like. It, these these uh organisms they're not even i think they call i can't remember what they call them they call them um there's a like they call them extremophiles meaning that they live 100 percent without light oh. uh, and so they grow in these like really adverse conditions but the scientists have like really concluded that like these extremophiles are like the very primitive forms of of life as itself like we're basically looking at the past like when single cell like the the moment before single cell organisms became a thing, you know, uh, as we know it today, um, this is what they look like. And so there is some truth to that, you know, and even the the Lakota creation story is very much similar to like the Big Bang, you know, because yeah. uh, it starts off as, you know, which is the rock, which is matter. Right. And then basically explodes into because there was nothing at first, then it explodes into, you know, creating the world with uh, mini or, or, or water. And then there was, um, you know, the sky, uh, ska, and then, um, you know, all, all the other elements that came after that, the sun, uh, we, but the creation story, it actually like when it's told correctly, which I didn't tell it correctly just now, <laughs> <laughs> you've, if you've listened to the big bang theory, it's very, it's very, very similar. similar. Yeah. Yeah. I could never tell, like, it's, it's very impressive here. Like a medicine man talk about it. Yeah that's where you would want to go to actually hear a lot of these oral histories. Yeah. And it's, you know, like the, I think the main element, the first thing before there was anything was taku that which moves. Right. And like, that's like, that's like Energy. the first thing. And yeah. And, but if you don't know the language either, it doesn't really translate that well in English. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and even like the great mystery, like Tokashila, we're not saying a God, we're saying we don't, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> we're not de- we're not personifying God. It is its own thing, and you shouldn't. Why does God need to be a person? Mm. That's what I've never understood. Um, I know it's easier to conceptualize, but I don't think uh, even the only thing similar is that like the ancestors are sort of um, the voice of great mystery or whatever. Like with uh, the thunder being bringing mm. the messages or whatever. Um, and so like, I think there's a lot of like acknowledgement of that, like when you die, that your energy goes back into the universe or whatever, and that you are part of the great mystery at that point. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've looked into it and try to apply it to real science now, like the actual oral histories. And I think you could really make an argument that it makes a good conception of how, uh, energy and matter formed and work today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, uh, Oh, where were we in these notes? Uh, going back to the Nazi who wrote Eric, that was a perfect place to veer off in these notes. Let's go back to the Nazi uh, who wrote Eric von Daniken's book. It can be assumed he helped Eric, if not completely write his other books, like Gold of the Gods and Gods from Outer Space. Uh, and in Gold of the Gods, he claimed plates were found in a secret underground library in the Yucatan. 
Uh, and I think it's in the Yucatan. You, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's filled with artifacts that he admits to slightly embellishing what they were, although definitely seeing it himself. <laughs> so four years later, admitting more that he made the entire story up and the artifacts found were actually made of bronze. Dang. <laughs> yeah, this guy's just a liar through and through, left and yeah. right. And so I'd be more than happy to talk about Ancient Aliens by Prometheus Entertainment more. But I think it is more representative of a larger phenomenon. And of course, influenced by ufology, quote unquote. Yeah. I like saying ufology because it makes it sound like a real science, but it is not. <laughs> and one of the more popular, popular circulating YouTube channels in the UFO community was Project Camelot. And since its inception, Project Camelot has become a leader. This is directly from their website has become a leader in the area of whistleblower testimony by providing filmed interviews shot guerrilla style on location with key witnesses and researchers from all around the world. We have traveled to remote remote comers of the globe and revealed secrets in areas previously only known to a select few from secret societies and those with high-level security clearance in the secret governments. (laughs) A lot of secrets. A lot of secrets. A lot of secrets. (laughs) It's like there's they use the word secret three times in that sentence. <laughs> That's how you know it's true. It's like a, secret a technical institute university or whatever that yeah. I you <laughs> institute of technical university or something like that. But fucking, it's exactly like that where they're like, if we put three official sounding names, it's the same thing. But they said if we put secret in here three times, we sound secret. <laughs> <laughs> and so you would think with her high opinion of herself. Uh, what she uh, that she would be presenting uh, with what she's presenting, you would assume there was verification of some or something, you know, some sort of like uh, uh, what's the litmus test? Mm-hmm. Like you think there would be some way to verify that these people are actually who they say they are, and um, we'll get into what her litmus test is because she kind of has one. Who who are we talking about? Uh, Carrie Carrie Cassidy from Carrie Cassidy from Project yeah, in the notes. So Carrie Cassidy is the founder of Project Camelot. Along with Bill Ryan, who is now the founder of Project Avalon, they split because of anti-Semitism. And for the life of me, I cannot tell you who is the anti-Semitic one. Yeah, it's like the degree, like we had this discussion offline. It's probably over the degrees of how racist you want to be or what kind of racist you want to be. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out who is the anti-Semite and who isn't. Like they're (laughs) both clearly (laughs) anti-Semites. And um, instead, on her show, there have been countless Huxers, including the previously mentioned. Uh, I don't think I actually did mention him. No, including you said this guy, David okay. Wilcock. In, including the previously mentioned David Wilcock, who used her show to promote any conspiracy theory they want, so long as they have a good story. That's what everybody on her show does. They have to have a good story. Uh, and what shouldn't be surprising is the immediate attraction white, suspe- white supremacy conspiracy theorists had for the YouTube channel. On top of it all, there are incredibly weird connections they seem to all have together. And the seeming network of conspiracy theorists to grift one another is also an interesting... Um, echo chamber. Echo chamber, echo chamber conspiracy yeah. theories. <laughs> well, because you have like... So Carrie Cassidy sort of got popularized by Infowars. That's sort of how they got their start. Um so uh, there's also a lot of apparent scandals they face within their own community and leaves any peering eyes confused, un- ultimately astonished at the way people think. <laughs> like, 
from neo-Nazis exposing, uh, there was a neo-Nazi who exposed the founders of Project Camelot to we- in a weird open letter uh, on like YouTube. I don't know what you want to call that, but like uh, basically just going off on how like they're actually Jewish or something like that. Oh <laughs> like there's a lot of weird infighting. And then there's this open letter on WordPress about the Cache Foundation uh, being a front for a cult. And then my favorite is the weird YouTube video saying Project Camelot is practicing and promoting occultic rituals through their videos. So, <laughs> so that's like the Christian fascist <laughs> thing. I don't know. So we're like, who funds these people? Uh, their funding comes from a variety of producers. Uh, one of the producers of Chicken Soup for the Soul, the 1999 <laughs> film. Yes. Another from Jesse Ventura Conspiracies. Of course. And the weirdest of all is America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> I can't verify if it is true, but I have heard they also receive money through the Valengong media producers who fund another YouTube channel called The Edge of Wonder, which mm-hmm. is infamous for its anti-China propaganda. Yeah, so I like, can prove the Edge of Wonder thing. So talk about like Falun Gong, because like Falun Gong ten- tends to come up like oddly a lot in the QAnon community, as well as the conspiracy theory community, and in the communist, uh, yeah, and in the in the communist community, in the left communities as well, because yeah, like they they come up a lot. But I think it's important for people to know who they are and like their role in promoting this like anti-China propaganda. So Falun Gong is this um, a Christian organization, is what they call themselves, <laughs> and uh, you'll see a lot of like evangelical churches supporting them for some reason. Uh, like my, uh, some of my family is involved in a church and they raised like $30,000 or wow. something for church. I was like, are you serious? And so uh, these people uh, would cl- go on to claim stuff like China was harvesting their organs. What they weren't saying is it was like people who murdered people and were in prison who had died. And that when they died, China would say, well, why let a good organ go to waste? You know, like there's a shortage of organs to be replaced, like replacing people's. So, you know, if it works, use it, Uh, which I think uh, kind of is, you know, if we get it down to the morals of it, is it okay? I don't know. You know, I'm an organ donor. I don't really care. So it it really just gets down to how you view organ donating and it's kind of forced like they, I, I don't know if they signed a waiver or anything like that, but I know that's sort of where that story comes from. Uh, and then they also, you know, they're, they're just like this huge anti-China group that believes that every race, every pure race has its own heaven and God and Jesus and stuff like that. And that mixed people like me won't go to heaven and are actually an abomination so, like, Falun Gong isn't the best kind of people, and they they certainly aren't the best truth tellers. Mm-hmm. And every time they support something, it's very much linked to Nazis. Yeah, they have, like, things that are considered, like, legitimate news sources, like the Epoch Times, right? Epoch like, Times, which I just saw a commercial for, and yeah, they were actually... All over YouTube. They did the half-truth thing. They yeah. did the half-truth thing in it, where they start presenting something that's like, oh, yeah, you're, you're making... Uh, some interesting claims that I would want to look into. What, what do you have to say? And so they they actually will grab your attention with some real sounding news. But ultimately, once you start subscribing to them, you get a lot of weird ass conclusions. Yeah, and they you know they're 
they're very i think they're actually banned in china just because um they promote like really violent and racist things um but yeah it's it, i think people i i guarantee that probably 90 percent of youtube watchers or people who just consume media on a daily basis have been exposed to some kind of you know Follow media. yeah because yeah, they they get all their money through radio free asia which uh biden uh pushed for in congress joe Biden. Uh, so joe biden's linked to this what's yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> and so this connection is most obvious with the guests they share like david wilcock i have mm-hmm. a weird obsession with uh earlier i uh called him raw incarnate which is due to like a 2007 forum post where he posted his audio talking about that he has re- raw reincarnated i am raw the world of energy that you dance through may be invisible to your physical eyes of the flesh. Uh, nowadays, he's best friends with Q from the QAnon conspiracy theories. Allegedly. Uh, and, and he thinks he's the reincarnation of Edgar, Edgar Allen Casey, I think is his middle name. <laughs> but he's a, he's a, I think they called him the sleeping prophet or something like that. <laughs> so he pretend to sleep. That's got to be an easy job. He's so good. (laughs) So he would just pretend to fucking give out prophecies. And like most of the time they never came true. But he's the reason why people think there's a Nazi base on the moon. So uh, anyway, (laughs) there you go with that one. Uh, The Edge of Wonder, we'll we'll move on to them now, has several series on YouTube, uh, YouTube videos on him. And uh, the new atheist era YouTube channel, the Armored Skeptic, has uh, some debunking videos of those videos. And uh, not that I'm going to promote him because he's just very milk toast, like reactionary, almost conservative, but still kind of liberal, kind of basically a proto libertarian. Um, so I'm not really going to say go watch it, but uh, he does provide some funny things, I guess, like uh, the raw footage the raw the raw footage he says he's raw reincarnated i just (laughs) cannot get over that one but in one of these videos david wilcock claims that the california wildfires were started by a laser beam which i'm sure we've all seen that (laughs) but it was meant to destroy a town of aliens of uh, pleiadians pretending to be humans with the most incredible dental care uh, for some reason, he really focuses on the dentistry of the town. <laughs> I think the absurdity of these theories isn't discrediting uh, these shows, but uh, they allow them to present themselves as a free thought platform in order to promote personal ideas of whom I'm funds them. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that these ideas are true to them. And I think when you watch these videos, it's kind of clear that these guys think David Wilcock is out there. But they definitely believe what the fall of Gong and CIA wants them to believe. And that's why they put these guys on there, is that they'll promote these QAnon conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Uh, and so um, uh, we already discussed uh, Falo Gong's connection to the CIA and all of that. But on top of it all, white supremacy and anti-Semitism can be found in every corner of the UFO community, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find a sort of enjoyment from researching these wild subjects just because, I don't know, something in the absurdity thrills me. And finding their obscure connections, but, and I think it speaks volumes of what the UFO phenomenon has done to the collective psyche of society. 
because uh, most people now will tell you that aliens definitely exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a common uh, phrase. And so I thought it would be a good idea to analyze where the phenomenon stems from. And as that is a huge topic on ancient aliens, which claims everything from Hindu gods to electricity was actually aliens, uh, I personally believe that UFOs are some sort of psyop designed by the USA, which I've said several times now, which they've openly admitted could be used for defensive and offensive propaganda uses on the CIA website, as well as openly admitting to running gullibility tests on the citizens of the United States. And I think that it is most noticeably seen with Reagan's alien threat speech, uh, where he says if an alien threat were to come, that it would unite the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I think it's very useful for propaganda purposes. Uh, But what is often left out of that discussion is its use for obfuscation. Okay. And that being to obfuscate America's role in the turmoil of the world, uh, or even Europe's role. Essentially, Western civilization as a whole role in what makes the world so tumultuous now is it you know crusades from colonialism slavery left and right there are so many things that were enacted by western cultures that now we have to sort of figure out what's going on with today and rather than actually analyzing the history the ancient aliens people want to create another way for you to view the world so you don't have to accept that truth mm-hmm. And so the idea of space travel is as old as any nation today, pretty much. And cosmic pluralism, uh, like any nation that was for, is still alive today, they somewhere in their history have somebody who wrote something about space travel, usually. Uh, that's a big usually and broad stroke, but it's pretty popular. It was going as far back as the 1800s, you know. Uh, and so plural, um, cosmic pluralism is really <laughs> I like that term. Cosmic pluralism. We need cosmic <laughs> is represented throughout ancient stories the world over. And what cosmic pluralism is the idea of multiple civilizations in the universe, not just one. Uh, and so, however, modern UFO paranoia can be linked most popularly to the Roswell incident, which happened here, and, where I'm calling from. Mexico. So, Roswell, New Mexico, I'm sure most people have heard of. And there is a reason it raises so many brows, of course. And ultimately, government secrecy has always made people wary of the government's covert actions, Uh, especially when you refer to things like COINTELPRO or Operation Paperclip, uh, where the government is clearly the bad guys, you know? Yeah, and let's talk about, just real briefly, COINTELPRO was an FBI program that was created specifically by J. Edgar Hoover to crush the Communist Party. And then later on, it went to like blackmail civil rights uh, leaders such as Martin Luther King Jr., and then went on to infiltrate and attempted to destroy organizations like the Black Panther Party to discredit and basically turn their own leadership and membership against them in the American public. And then also went on to uh, get uh, to have an influence in, in uh, I guess, disrupting and destabilizing the American Indian movement. Well put. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and so during the 1940s, um, there were several incidents uh, that were often quoted by the, that are often quoted by ancient aliens, including Roswell, which happened in 1947. Uh, a lot, one of those was the Battle of Los Angeles in 1942, right when uh, we started against the Japanese. So, of course, it happened in Los Angeles, the largest military base at the time, I think. Um, and many other ideas that I will try to address briefly. Uh, but the first thing you will read on Wikipedia about Roswell. The sequence of events was triggered in July 1947 
By the crash of a military balloon near Roswell, the balloon had la- had been launched from Al- Alam- Alamogordo. Alamogordo Army Airfield. Uh, a month earlier, it carried a radar reflector and classified Project Mogul sensors for expen- experimental monitoring of the Soviet nuclear testing. Uh, and I will be completely honest and say I, I believe in aliens, sure, but I don't think they visiting Earth in any regular capacity and skeptically, if at all, you know, uh, even if they are, I don't think it's to probe buttholes and mutilate cows. You know, that seems a little outlandish. Uh, and I especially don't think it's to play a role in U.S. imperialism. Mm-hmm. But instead, I think it's uh, I think this public discussion of phenomenal events is meant to cover up the real goals of certain projects of the United States. For example, when the B-52 and many other spy planes were and are being tested, it is very common for UFO sightings to be reported in the same areas. Uh, The balloon crashed, and I think it's obvious, even with the official explanation, that the project was probably an anti-Soviet mission of some kind and was most likely uh, sabotaged by one of the many scientists aiding the Soviet Union against America's nuclear aggression and monopoly. Uh, if you all aren't aware of the former pros around table, they did an amazing episode on nuclear history and the hidden heroes who helped the Soviet Soviet Union get nuclear bombs to deter the U.S. from global dominance. And I'm willing to take an educated guess and say one of these heroes was aiding the Soviet Union once again. Uh, and the U.S. used the term flying saucer to hide the real nature of the craft from the public eye due to the U.S. plans for the post-war world. Arguably, we can say that the Cold War began when the Bolsheviks took power, and Roswell is the perfect example of how quickly the U.S. was willing to get the Red Army's contribution to the survival of humanity. Yeah, just to interject real quickly, um, New Mexico, for those of you who are listening, is where the nuclear bomb was first invented in the Manhattan Project that happened at Los Alamos National Labs. We're going to do an entire episode on it. Uh, the history of it, like from an indigenous perspective, specifically from the Tewa people who, whose uh, sacred site this is, right? And the it's no coincidence that the UFO phenomenon, you know, originates in a place like New Mexico, because New Mexico itself is a conspiracy theory. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein had a ranch here. You know, the Church of Scientology has its archives buried in, uh, in a place in New Mexico. Um, there's a lot of military bases here. And, you know, there's a lot of it, New Mexico is also like the second poorest uh, state in the nation. Well, a lot of people don't even like when I travel with my new New Mexico driver's license, people think that I'm actually Mexican. No, no, because it says they don't think that, it's just like it's not thought of as a place that like, you know, is part of the United States. Um, and it's a majority, you know, it's a majority minority <laughs> state. Um, so there's a, like you know, there's a lot like New Mexico itself is a conspiracy theory. What's that? You're telling me that there are Americans out there who think TSA agents, TSA agents, who think New Mexico isn't a state. Yes, they're like, is this a state? And I was like, yeah, like New Mexico as part of Mexico. That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> I just it really hurts my brain. That really hurts my brain. Um, but operating from the idea that uh, all the photos were re- released from Roswell were fake, okay. Um, for all we know, the disc was a poorly designed nuclear bomb that accidentally dropped, similar to an incident near Goldsboro, North Carolina, where a B-52 dropped a nuke that luckily did not explode. 
Uh, it's interesting that the rancher stored the disc for a while. I think it was about a week before the Air Force was able to recover it. Uh, and with the claims of bodies found, like uh, I don't think it was the rancher who said that, but I think other people did. And I think if there was bodies found, you know, there would be a cover up that a pilot died in the B-52 crash. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, whether that's true or not, I'm just saying I'm offering an alternative conspiracy theory. Uh, and I find it extremely likely that the U.S. is incompetent in building expensive planes. Like at sea, at first, see, uh, like whenever they build an expensive plane, it it really is not good. So, for example, the F thirty five can't fly in the rain, and it's something like uh, one in nine pilots will get decapitated if they weigh under one hundred and thirty five pounds and eject. Wow. It's a decapitation machine, a one point five trillion dollar decapitation machine. That can't we need, fly. We need one of those for. We need one of those for billionaires. <laughs> oh, that's the new guillotine, the F thirty five ejection seats. <laughs> it's too good. So anyway, I find it extremely. Uh, so I, I just think it's very plausible uh, that the B fifty two could have crashed. Yada yada yada. Whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, this and just to just to let people know, like this was like a lot of people in in New Mexico didn't know this was happening. Right. This. Like they would fly things and then they would, you know, the, the, it's no wonder the UFO conspiracy comes out of here because there are military bases, there are multiple military bases, there are bombing ranges, there's all kinds of things. And, you know, I have a friend who he's, he's Guatemalan and he came up here and he was like freaked out because of all the random uh, flying objects you would find. Like they still run, um, they still run like large scale military uh, training exercises because the landscape here is very similar to that of Afghanistan. And so in the middle of the night, you'll see like a trail of like Black Hawk helicopters, just like, uh-huh. yeah, That's it's, it's wild. Yeah. And we live. Well, anytime I see military helicopters flying through the air in like Detroit and stuff, I immediately go, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, we live, we live like right by the air or we live under the the flight, the flight path of the air, um, the, the military base. And I know this because my brother-in-law brought his drone over and drones have like, <laughs> They're like a pre-programmed thing where they can't fly in like um, certain areas. And we, we can't oh. actually fly a drone in our house because it's considered like a military like airspace. No, yeah, like airspace or whatever. So that's huh. how I know. <laughs> so every morning we wake up to military jets, all kinds of things flying over our house. So I was wrong about the uh, one in nine. It's 98 percent of pilots oh. under 135. Pr- <laughs> <laughs> so even, even better odds for the, the airspace. <laughs> Literally, I mean, we just had to starve them a bit. But uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, in order to avoid public outrage, they probably fabricate these alien body claims and the UFO, sto- UFO story as a means to manipulate the public. Um, and so if they can make up a barely supported conspiracy, uh, I will. And, you know, if ancient aliens can make up barely supported conspiracy theories, I will. And, <laughs> and they'll be more realistic of the government's real nature. You know, so the Battle of Los Angeles is a similar incident with which the U.S. military fires hundreds of rounds into the air in L.A. And in ni- uh, 1942 is the peak of anti-Japanese paranoia. An ancient alien is often shown with n- a known altered photo. Okay, they know they altered the photo uh, with increased exposure where the lights coalesce that makes it appear like there might be a UFO. Uh, And maybe there could have been a spy plane or something, and maybe even a UFO. But the more likely scenario is a false flag, to sound like Alec Jones. Uh, (laughs) Let me me put on my Alec Jones voice. A false flag. 
uh, or a weather balloon spooking us. Uh, uh, a weather balloon spooking. Spooking green soldiers? What was I even trying to say there? <laughs> the notes are lying. Oh, Somebody... oh, oh, like uh, a weather balloon spooking new soldiers, like green uh. soldiers, spring soldiers, whatever you want to call them. It was new people to a war that we weren't involved with, and we had just started making our military uh, advanced at this time. So, well, more advanced, I should say. We weren't very much an imperial power until after World War One and Two. Um, and that's when we really started having global dominance of the world because we have the nuke and Truman walking into uh, negotiations going, you're going to listen to me because I have the nukes, you know. So um, I will admit I didn't do the most thorough research, but I read a lot of Wikipedia and viewed their sources. <laughs> so we're offered, you know, a lot of times they don't offer a source. So uh, from Project Camelot and Ancient Aliens uh, also. Um, with their sources, I more than uh, encourage people to research it themselves, uh, just because it's a it's it's all fake. It's obviously fake, so I'm not really too concerned with proving that these people said it, but they did say it, and you could go watch it yourself. All the links will be in the show notes. But ancient aliens and YouTube channels like Project Camelot and Edge of Wonder worry me, and that's why I obsessively watch and debunk them for fun. Uh, they live in a nonsensical fantasy world with such a complex lore that barely goes skin deep. Um, I don't know if you have any like closing thoughts on this. Um, no, I thought this was a great time to wrap up. <laughs> I, I feel like we've, we've delved into every conspiracy yeah, theory. We've hit everything. And there's like so many, there's so many threads and rabbit holes to follow down or fall to fall down, um, to go down and to follow that. We, you know, the, that we, I think this is a good episode to start with. And I think, we're going to probably return to a lot of these themes. I think we actually need to do another, you know, episode on MK Ultra and COINTELPRO because the idea of conspiracy, you know, is is a, it's not just about how governments and, you know, these clandestine operations you are used to disrupt uh uh social movements, but it's also to convince social movements that they themselves have been imp- uh, infiltrated and therefore are, you know, being you know, through the, through the, um, uh, through like, you know, puppet strings being manipulated by intelligence services and, and they don't like COINTELPRO is no longer operational, right? Neither is operation chaos, but nonetheless, these programs didn't just shut down and the FBI or the CIA started doing different things. They just evolved into other programs and we may never know. Um, or we may know like in, in, you know, sometime in the future with declassified documents, the full extent and consequences of these kinds of programs. But I would say that you are correct or you're at least onto something when you do say that this is part of a larger kind of propaganda operation to discredit not only indigenous claims, but to discredit, you know, um, views or theories that the, you know, that the, the government is creating like, you know, weapons or, or doing certain things that, you know, um, like, especially within the conspiracy theory community to promote certain things like, that are just operating under the cover of conspiracies, but at the heart of it are like white supremacist, pseudo-fascist doctrines. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> with that, well, like I just, I just, this wealth of information I stumbled upon by liking ancient aliens when I was <laughs> forever years old um, is, is, is why, I, I don't know, how did we even get onto we should do this collab? Yeah. 
I don't even know how we got here. But we're going to continue going down this path. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next I'd like to plug one thing. Okay. One thing. Um, Our Ways Always is a Zine bean. I don't really know what Zine is. Zine. Um, Zine? Okay. So first off, I'm pronouncing it wrong. Secondly, (laughs) uh, it's a fundraiser. Like uh, you buy art, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. I think you buy art and it goes to a specific thing and it's going to Unistaten. Unistaten. Unistaten? Yeah. I pronounce everything wrong. Unistaten camp. And uh, they they did discuss it with them uh, and uh, all that money is going towards them and it's organized by my co-host Huns uh, and their, um, I don't know who else was involved. (laughs) I don't know who else was involved. But it's uh, more of like a liberal thing. So uh, you should get money to them, though, because, you know, the camp needs help and needs money. And uh, I think they're also going to try to organize one for um, what? Uh, oh, no. Uh, the bail fund, the Black Hills legal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the actual name. But yeah, so that's all that that's in the works. So keep like follow them on Twitter or something, and also like try to help them out or promote them something. But that would be cool. Uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.